0: Primarily focusing on that, I'll, I'll give them a couple of extra things as well. As you know, uh, with this lesson, and I added a few things to it uh, this year as well. And uh, um, so we're we're going to get into this, but it's fascinating. Many times, people just you, you just I remember hearing it back. I don't know when I was a teenager that it was just simply a date established by the Catholic Church in honor of a pagan god. And I'll get into that how all that came about in world history. Uh, um, but that is not how the date, December 25th, came about. And so we'll see that here, here this evening. But anyhow, uh, Luke, Luke chapter 2, I'm just going to read one verse and we'll pray. And uh, we'll, we'll get into this. Let's see. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse number, number 10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. And Lord, as we look at different things concerning your first coming to this earth, and Lord, the fact of your incredible, the virgin birth that took place, how 2,000 years ago you came to this world. Lord, I pray one that this would encourage us in our faith, in your word, that it would strengthen us and draw us closer to you. And Lord, help us to remember, you are truly what this season is all about. It is about you, about God becoming a man to save us from our sins. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, please bless tonight, control what I say, how I say it. Lord, I love you, and I pray for your mercy and grace. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... Going all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3, you have the very first prophecy of the coming of a Messiah. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. As soon as man fell in the garden, you had the promise of redemption to come, that God would straighten this out. And then as time went on, we have what's called progressive revelation. God gave more information about how this was going to look. Um, We had the prophecy in Genesis chapter 49 that he'd be of the line of Judah. By this time, the nation... The the family of Israel, I should say, is established by this time, not the nation of Israel, but the family of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob and his 12 sons is now established. And it was at that time that the Lord made it known that this Messiah, this coming Redeemer who would save His people, would come through the line of, of Judah. We see that taking, of course, being fulfilled... Uh, in Christ, we had the place of his birth talked about in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. That would be Bethlehem. That is where Jesus Christ was in fact born. Um, he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Uh, many different prophecies around it. And so what I'd like to do to start off to this is, is to get into the probability of Christ, one man, that being the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilling these prophecies. What's the likelihood of it? We know, and the Bible is, is consists of 66 different books. It's amazing how God did it. For instance, when we look at information like we're looking at today, nobody can question that somebody just put it together in like the year 200 A.D. That one man just put this together, that it really wasn't divine revelation at all. That's why everything happens to match up. No, we're going to look at the Old Testament. It was, was written, it, 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 the copies were there, they existed well before Christ was ever born. So what is the probability, the odds, of somebody being able to fulfill uh, uh, these uh, prophecies concerning Christ? Here are some different odds in life in general. The odds that you will be struck by lightning is 1 in 700,000. The odds of you being killed by lightning is 1 in 2 million. The odds of you becoming president, 1 in 10 million. A meteorite landing on your house, one in a really, really, really big number, like 180 trillion, I believe that would be 10 to the 14th power. So, all you mathematicians can, I think that's a trillion. Um, and the odds that you will die, anybody you know, got a guess at that one? One in what? You're going to die. That's right. That's that, that, that's going to take place. So again. The, this information here is coming out of a book called Science Speaks. That was the source of this uh, um, when I was putting this together. And, and he, he dove into a lot of these different areas within there. And so what he did in his book, which I found fascinating, was he just looked at, the, all altogether in the Bible, there's about 300 prophecies concerning Christ. And all those, uh, the total list of those concerning his first coming, I can't remember the exact number, but Christ fulfilled every single one of them. All of them. And what he does in his book, he doesn't take all of them. He only takes a small portion of those concerning this first coming. He takes eight. He looks at eight of the prophecies. And then what he does is he uses basically a statistician method to develop what are the odds of one man fulfilling just these eight, not all the rest. And he fulfilled all the rest. But he looks at just eight to give us the odds of that taking place. And it was fascinating, of course, how he did it and what the number actually comes out to. So the prophecies that he looked at would be Christ born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, Christ was in fact born in Bethlehem. He looked at the, at the prophecy of Malachi chapter 3, that there would be a forerunner before the Messiah would come, that being John the Baptist. We see that fulfilled, of course, in John the Baptist in the Gospels, Mark chapter 1. He looked at the prophecy concerning Christ while he was on the earth as far as him entering Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Being fulfilled in Matthew twenty one, he looked at the prophecy in Psalm chapter forty one of being betrayed by a friend, and, and that, and that uh, of course Judas fulfilling that. By the way, the odds of being at that time being born in Bethlehem one in two hundred eighty thousand. The odds of a forerunner for Christ was one in a thousand. The odds of riding in a, in a donkey in Jerusalem was one in a hundred. The odds of being betrayed by a friend one in a thousand. Uh, and then also the prophecy in Zechariah 11:12 12, of Christ to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And of course, we know that took place. Judas sold out for 30 pieces of silver, Matthew chapter 26. So, Zechariah chapter 11 is a prophecy fulfilled in Matthew chapter 6. That too is one in a thousand. Um, the, the fact that the pieces of silver was prophesied to buy potter's field, Zechariah 11, verse 13. We see that taking place in Matthew chapter 27. That's what the silver was used for. That is one in a hundred thousand that that would take place. Um. The fact that Christ kept silent, although innocent, in his trial. Isaiah 53, verse 7. We see that taking place Mark chapter 14 during the trial of Jesus Christ. The fact of his crucifixion was also the eighth one that he looked at. Psalm chapter 22, verse 16. And of course, in all the Gospels, we see Christ was in fact crucified. And the likelihood of that was 1 in 10,000. That's because Rome was crucifying a lot of people at that time, even in Jerusalem. And so what he did was he took all those odds from the 1 in 280,000, 1 in 1,000 was 1, 2, 3, 4 of them, Uh, 1 in 100 was uh, 1 of them, 1 in 10,000 was 1 of them, and I think that covers all 8 right there. I might have left off 1 of the thousands. And so then he put all those together, um, multiplying all 8 probabilities together. And this is the number you come up with. There's not a word for it, of course. It is one uh, with uh, 10 to the 28th power. Think of that. Think how big that is. So a one with 28 zeros after it is the likelihood of just fulfilling eight of the prophecies, not all the rest. In other words, that, that's, where, that's where it gets to the, to the point where you can say, listen, apart from God, that's impossible. That's impossible that this took place. Any one of them, Yes. Any two of them, maybe. But when you start compounding these things of all that he fulfilled, for that to be able to take place is astonishing. And again, he only looked at eight. And as you can tell by the numbers that he gave out, they all make perfect sense. If you were to sit down and figure out, okay, well, out of all the people that traveled in Jerusalem, how often of those would somebody be on a donkey? Well, in Jewish writings, you know, which was what he studied, it came out about every hundred. So one in a hundred. That's the likelihood that that would take place. So he was honest and realistic with every single one of these odds, but you put them together and it becomes an improbability. It just, apart from God, it's just not there. <clears throat> so now, just incredible. Now let's get into the bulk of this. Christ's birth, when was he born? Now again, I say this every year, I don't know when he was born. I, I do not. Could have been any time, I don't know. Um, But I I personally believe the most likely scenario is that he was born sometime right around December 25th. And I believe there is, if I had to pick one of the days, it would in fact be December 25th. And we're getting into why um, I lean that way. And again, this is just something that's some interesting stuff coming from the Word of God and what we see in church history for that date. So again, many believe this date was simply picked by the Roman Catholic Church to celebrate um, the pagan holi- uh, uh, holiday, the Mithraic feast uh, from the Hindu sun god, and there's there's weight to that. That's it's not that that's not true. Those events really did take place. But the question is, is that why December 25th was selected? And, and at that time, you had you had a nightmare taking place. Con- uh, Constantine making it the state religion, the vast mixture of paganism into the church at Rome, it was creating the Catholic Church, it was, it was producing false doctrines, the worship of Mary, the mother of God, the prayers to the saints, it was producing all kinds of stuff. So I can certainly understand why people jump to that assumption. Um, there was a Roman festival that took place, uh, a pagan Roman festival at that, worshipping the god, Roman god Saturn. Um, it took place between December 17th going through December 23rd. And then they would celebrate, the, and this would be in Latin, the big birthday of them. Deus Nautilus Solus Invicti means the birthday of the unconquered sun, which was held on December 25th. That's very true. That's when the Romans also believed that the, that the winter solstice took place. Of course, they were a few days off on that. Um, so that was the birthday of their pagan sun god. And in this pagan religion, um, you, you know, you know, let me let me jump through this. The emperor, late in the third century, um, he created the Sol Invictus in two seventy four. All right, so this is where you're getting to the time. It's going to be mixed in with Rome with December twenty fifth being recognized as the birth, also the Messiah. So there's an assumption being made that it was because of all the compromises taking place. And as far as I know, in the church at Rome, compromise was well in place. That Part of that might have been their motivation. Uh, I I don't know. Um, They were compromising, but that doesn't have anything to do with that day particular being Christ's birth. And I'll explain. So anyhow... um, we have that taking place at the conclusion of the 4th century. And it really, December 25th had been an established, recognized time as Christ's birth. I'm going to read to you that from history. It was never even questioned at all. Think about this. Even though you had the compromise taking place at the conclusion of the 4th century, it was never ever questioned that the reason for the December 25th was simply of a compromise of the church at Rome until the 12th century okay? Before that time frame, it was commonly thought that was the likelihood of Christ's birth. The 12th century, what happened was this. That's when a group came out and said, no, 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 that, that, that really isn't the date. And they're thinking back something that happened, you know, um, 800 years prior at this point. And they found something that was written on... Let me, let me see if I can just read this out right. Where was it? They, they, anyhow, they, they were going through different books of the church. They found, they found writing on, on a side note um, about a compromise with it. And then that led the launch of... This was just a compromise right here. Matter of fact, if you remember, you came to America... when Going back to the time of the pilgrims in this country getting established before we were quite our own nation, it was actually illegal in some parts to celebrate Christmas because it was looked upon as a Roman Catholic holiday. Um, and that's going back to the the things I've just been talking about. The question is, apart from what happened there with Constantine and the Saturn God and everything coming in, was there any other date? Was there any, Is there any other information that supports December 25th? The answer is yes, quite a lot, actually. Um, For instance, in going to the 2nd century, we have in writing, in the 2nd century, this is 200 years before the Catholic Church ever even formed. There is no Augustine alive, Constantine is not alive, it does not exist, that's not taking place, Um, and we have in writing from uh, Hippolytus, who wasn't a pastor, he was considered a commentary, what we would call today almost a theologian. Of the time. He, he simply wrote and commented on scriptures and whatnot, and it's in his writings that he does state that as Christ's birthday being December 25th. That's in the second century. Also, an, another interesting uh, player in this would be Chris Austin, John Chris Austin. He was, of course, there at Constantinople. Interesting as we're going through the book of Acts, he was ordained, by the way, and in, in going several hundred years later, the church at Antioch was the one who ordained him as a deacon. And, of course, you know, we're going through that right now. And so he also was the one that put in place that said that from all he had studied and read that the actual date of Christ was December 25th. So these are individual sources before those compromises ever took place. There's, there are only two dates in writing, and there, there was another date given besides December 25th, in all fairness, and that was January 6th all right between those two dates those were the dates that were given there was no other time frame given so in writing prior to the compromise with the church at rome the common belief was that it was december 25th but why all right so does the scripture back up that date i believe it's about the only date the scripture does back up in relation uh, in relation to this and so and that's what we're going to look at is the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of John the Baptist, all right? Um, So let's turn over to Luke, the book of Luke. Now, when we're looking at this, we have to consider the Hebrew calendar. The Hebrew religious year, the first month of the year in the Hebrew calendar is the month Nisan. The Hebrew calendar has 354 days instead of 365 days. All this will come into play. So their calendar does not exactly line up with the one we use, but it's, it's, it's close. Um, the Hebrew month Nisan would correspond to our mid-March to mid-April. All right? So that would be their January, if you will. It's in that month, of course, as you know, they celebrate Passover, it, the deliverance from Egypt, and, and whatnot. That's when that takes place. So their first month, is Nisan, which goes from mid-March to mid-April. Now, uh, actually, before I read let's go ahead and go over to First Chronicles 24. First Chronicles chapter 24. This is dealing with the Levites, the descendants of Aaron. Verse 5 says this. Thus were divided by Lot, of the family of Aaron, one sort with another. For the governors of the sanctuary and governors of the house of God were of the same sons of Eleazar and of the sons of of Ithmar. So they're, they're dividing by Lot. It's going to be in the groups of 24. The sons of Aaron for work is what's taking place here. And uh, each group of these priests would serve according to a set schedule that was drawn up. The schedule was done at this time by King David by casting lots. So they're taking the family of the priests, the Levites, and they're dividing them up into these 24 groups and establishing a time frame when they would have to come to the temple and work. That's what's being done here. Um, Tabernacle and thus temple. So, um, and that takes place in verse 7. You can see all the way down to verse number 18. The first lot came unto and it gives the family line. Alright, third lot. So each of, those, each of those family knew exactly when was their time to head uh, to the temple and work. Alright? That's being established in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. All right, so the system that David set in place here course, you know, correlated all these groups, these courses of priests, to the months. The same pattern was followed from military life, by the way. the Chronicles gets into that. 1 Chronicles chapter 27. So now what's interesting is verse 10. Verse 10 has to do with what well, it ties, in sort of to, it ties in really directly to the birth of Christ. The seventh to Hachas and the eighth to Abijah. Okay? The eighth to Abijah. Now, Go back to Luke chapter 1. Now go back to Luke chapter 1. So Abijah is of the eighth course. We go to Luke, and this is what we find. Luke chapter 1, verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. that's Abijah, what we just looked at, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. "...and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord." And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the same time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing in the right side of the altar of, uh, of incense. And, and we know what takes place from there. So, you know, your, your wife is going to have a child. And it goes from there. But he was of the course of Abijah. And when the angel appears to him, we know when that took place. Alright? Was, he was of the eighth course. So... When was the eighth course? Um, That is going to be right around mid-October to mid-November. More than likely going around to, I even happen to check if they're still following us today. Today I did that. I, I didn't do that in the other years. They do. The eighth course had to be in place on the first part of, it changes like, I don't know why exactly It's the Hebrew calendar, up to a week to two weeks it fluctuates. But all around the same time. They had to be in place. I think it was 1 October this year. That might be for 2023. This year, 2023, they had to be in place by 1 October. All right? For this Abijah. They had to be in line for there. So we know when Zachariah was there and when he was working. All right? Um, and so, again, he would have been in place around then. He was fulfilling, it Bible says, his normal course of duty when Gabriel appeared unto him and said, that Elizabeth was going to have a son. So he would have completed his service somewhere between the middle to end of October. They would usually serve about a week to two weeks. A week would be common, you have travel time and whatnot. So the Bible tells us that he stayed and completed his normal duties. He just didn't take off. He finished his course. He just didn't leave after this. He finished his course and he returned home. we see, if you read on throughout, we won't hear for time, but if you read on, the angel appears to him, he, he, and as soon as he finished it, he left and he goes home. So it was shortly after his return that Elizabeth conceived, as promised by the angel, and so most likely the date, therefore, for the conception of John the Baptist would be as soon as John got home. I mean, we don't know when that's one assumption we have to make. I understand that. It doesn't say it's, it's, it, but we're, we're just using some logical reasoning, some deductive reasoning. The angel said, all right, the Lord's going to give your wife a child. So we're making one assumption here that doesn't say directly. That is that when he got back, he was with his wife, and she got pregnant. Like the angel said would happen. And I think that's pretty likely. Which means we have a conception near the end of October taking place. All right? And uh, so, now, look at verse 24. Well, let me read 23. And it came to pass, as soon as the days of his, of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. That's talking about Zacharias. He went home. He finished his work. He goes home. And after those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. All right? So, again with this verse, deductive reasoning, it's likely she got pregnant immediately when he went back. And now get this, it says this, And he hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now get this, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee, unto Nazareth. Guess who he's going to see? Mary. So this is the start of the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that the angel appears to Mary. This is now giving us a time frame. It's establishing a time frame right now. He completely, he goes back. She hid herself five months. The angel appears to Mary in the sixth month. It's referring still to the pregnancy of Elizabeth at that time. Um, So the start... Of the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, would have probably been close to the end of March. All right. If he comes back at the end of October, we're going to complete November, December, January, February, March. complete. the start of the sixth month is at the first of April. All right. Everybody, follow me. She hit herself five months. The start of the sixth month. He goes back near the end of October. Start of the sixth month. She's uh, Elizabeth, or uh, Elizabeth is already—it's into her sixth month of her pregnancy, and so that is when the angel appears. Normal gestation for a human baby is two hundred and seventy days. Two hundred and seventy days is normal gestation for a human baby. So, the start of the sixth month—let's say that was March thirty-first. Z- uh, Zacharias got home at the end of October. She gets pregnant. We get to March 31st, the start of the sixth month. 270 days from March 31st happens to be December 25th. December 25th. Now, is there any other support for this? But you're beginning to see why it was also in history prior to all the compromise in the church at Rome being demolished by paganism. Yeah. Let's talk about the fact of the shepherd's in the field. The shepherds in the field. At night. all right, Which wouldn't necessarily be common. All right? um, so let's, let's talk about this. So, it, uh, um, in Stormer's Burke, when he got into this, he actually did several different inter- interviews with it. I did some of my own research. That will come out here in, in just a little bit as well. Um, uh, uh, let's see. He was trying to confirm the timing of, the, uh, uh, of, of when the sheep would, would have their young. And at this time, especially Israel, they would become pregnant in July, just after the summer solstice was when it would take place. The normal gestation period for a lamb is just over five months. That means that the lambs are usually born in middle to late December is when their births take place. Which would establish the reason why the shepherds would be in the field. Because when they were when they were when it was that time and they had several others getting ready to have the lambs, they would be out helping them. Um, and anyhow, he also he also had this conversation in the book with a rancher that was in the states in Montana, and that person also had verified the exact same research. Um, he said shepherds usually stayed out in the field with the sheep at night when the lambs are being born. Um, they wanted to make sure the lambs and mothers were well taken care of during the birthing process. The shepherds were out in the field, of course, when, came, when the angel came to them to announce the birth of Christ. And it, it, it just fits. And when you actually look up, so I researched today. In Israel, when are, the, when are the lambs usually born? It's a quote from one site. It gives different names of these types of lambs uh, of, of different places. Um, November is common for Lebanon, Syria, the Arab Republic, and Israel, December to January is when they're born. December to January. That was just research I did online. Alright? Research I did online. So there's another separate verification of why would the shepherds happen to be out in the field that night. Um, and uh, so, two different times. Um, it's also, I think, the fact that December... I, I think it's also interesting that God would pick that time... And think about it in one way i, I this isn 't in the book it just makes sense to me. The Lord would pick that time being it 's the darkest time of the year to send the light of the world i mean it 's the darkest time of the year I, I just I, I think that's a, you can see the Lord doing something like that um, and uh, again some some they just forget where israel is i 've heard the argument also given uh, years ago that that they would not have been outside because it would have been cold out. It's December. They're not in Alaska. They're not in Montana. They're not in Michigan. They're not in North Dakota. They're not in Indiana. They're in Israel. If you look up the average temperature for Israel in December, it's not cold. The average temperature in December for the nation of Israel is 60 degrees, 60, not 20. So they they'd have been so cold out there, wouldn't it no no they would be out there so anyhow a, a lot of different interesting things that really do does point to the fact that de- december twenty fifth is a very possible date, and that if we were to look at it and, and, and there's there's and I think the fact that the the shepherds support that now they would have two courses when they would go. So it's, it's, it's possible that there was a one other time of the year when Zacharias would have been at the tabernacle fulfilling his duties based on how their schedule went. He was We know he had to be there during during that time. It's also possible he could have been there another time. But the other time does not support um, the lambs being born. The lambs being born at that time. So anyhow, every now and then we just read things. We come to a conclusion because we read it, we heard it preached without actually substantiating What's behind it, all right? And December 25th is one of those. Um, there actually is merit to that date. Another thing before we close out here, I, I like to bring it up. I started bringing up this up last year, I bring it up again, and that is the origin of the Christmas tree. Um, I, I'm sure we've heard it preaching. and if you hold to that, I'm not against you. That, that that's your prerogative on this, um, but. Uh, th- I, I, I've heard it taught and what not. The origin of the Christmas tree is pagan in nature. They'll use the of course they will go, go back into the book of uh, Isaiah there and substantiate it where the, with the pagan idolatry of the trees and the decorating that takes place. and, and so they see that with what takes place. And so the Associated it was just a pagan custom. That's simply not true of the history of the Christmas tree. It's just not true that you're jumping to a conclusion that isn't true in history. We know when it started and why it started. And it had nothing to do with paganism at all. Nothing. And, uh, but again, sometimes we just like to be against everything. And we read something, and, and, we, and we launch with it. Um, and the uh, um, research for this that I'm basing this on was actually done by John R. Rice. Um, he gets into the research of it, and anyhow, he said goes back to the 8th century. A missionary named Boniface went to Germany to preach Christ. The Germanic tribes worshipped oak trees. They thought of it as a symbol of deity. Boniface told them the oak tree was a poor symbol for God. It shed its leaves and appears to die each winter. The tree that should remind them of God but wasn't God, he said, was the evergreen. That there was an eternal God who had never died. It's always green and always thriving. Um... It's later said, then there were other people at that time, especially after the Protestant movement, and of course, Baptists weren't even actually out of the Protestant movement, but nonetheless, they also started recognizing that as the the, the symbolism of it. And the Christmas tree then from that became popular in England. It started there in Germany, but then became popular in England through the influence of a German-born prince, Prince Albert, who had brought that in. And then in the United States, it came over from the same German line. So it came from that source is where it came from. And, uh, um, and they would do different things when you study about it. They, 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 I mean, crazy stuff, actually putting lighted candles on them. Uh, I mean, these are now dead trees. I <laughs> just don't think you should put lighted candles on them. Uh, um, but it's interesting nonetheless... But it, but the Christmas tree actually does have Christian origins in it, um, not not pagan or, not pagan um, origins from it. It was actually a missionary trying to turn them away from worshiping a stupid tree to say no 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 no. But there's a symbol of a true eternal God that created all things, who's everlasting. And uh, anyhow, and so it it, and it anyhow that tradition grew from there. So anyhow, interesting stuff. Um, it's something that I enjoy getting into once a year at this time, looking at the time when Christ was born. And again, we don't know when he was born. He could have been born in April. But it really doesn't matter. It doesn't. I understand that. But I do think it's interesting that the Bible does give us a lot of good indication of, of, of when it was likely to have taken place in Scripture. So, with heads bowed and eyes closed.